Hey y'all, welcome back to Bulls with the Bard. My name is Cakes, I am your host. Today, we are closing out our season about the problem plays by asking the question, is all well that ends well? All's well that ends well is officially a problem play, and I think it slots pretty well into both definitions. I think it can be hard to tell if it's a comedy or a tragedy, and it certainly has some problematic content in it when we think about it in 2023. To talk about the play, I have two of my nearest and dearest friends with me today. First, we have a returning guest to the podcast. She's newish old to the podcast because she has not yet been on since we have been in podcast form. She has only been on when we were wee little babies on YouTube. We have Jackie Medeski. Jackie, would you like to introduce yourself? Oh my God, I would be so thrilled to introduce myself. Uh, well, hi, everyone. Uh, long-time listener, second-time guest. I don't know, third-time guest? Um, but my name is Jackie Medeski. Uh, I am a theater artist. I act, I sing, I dance, I do puppetry work on TikTok. And I am, of course, a Shakespeare lover and also a lover of Michaela as well. She's one of my dearest friends. And I'm so glad to be talking with you today, Cakes. Aw, shucks. Thanks. <laughs> Our second guest is new new to the podcast but definitely not new new to my heart we have karen shantz karen would you like to introduce yourself that was so touching (laughs) i'm karen shantz um i'm holding a bowl full of wine um i am living in los angeles and uh have a background as a theater artist but since the pandemic have been focusing more on like screenwriting and um been doing a lot of sketch a lot of improv out in the los angeles scene and that's where i'm at now sweet well i am stoked to have you both on the podcast i know we are going to have a good time talking about this play yes jacqueline we have a hand <laughs> can i can i can i explain why karen is drinking wine out of a bowl can i explain why this is yes, happening do it. <laughs> okay so <laughs> like, like so, for, so anyone who's been listening to this season i don't know if anyone else had this problem but i was explaining to cakes and karen that i was personally a little disappointed it took until the Othello episode this season to get actually everyone on the podcast was high and talking about Shakespeare and this is called Bowls with the Bard and Cakes you are wonderful you are so inclusive you know you want people on to talk about Shakespeare they don't have to smoke and that is wonderful however if you're not going to follow the spirit of the podcast you have to follow the letter and so I all future guests if you're coming on you don't want to smoke weed or have an edible that's totally fine I think you should then uh, whatever you're choosing to imbibe in, it has to be out of a bowl. And this was inspired by, I think, the Troilus and Cressida episode because someone had a bowl of cereal, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, shout out to B. Thanks, B. Shout out, yes, <laughs> shout out to B. Shout out to B. So yeah, future guests, again, if you're not going to have weed, you get put it in a bowl. Just put it in a bowl. But also make sure you have somewhere to set it down because now I'm just <laughs> holding a bowl full of wine <laughs> sipping quietly off mic. Like you've never done that before. <laughs> All right, y'all. We are going to get nice and litty, and then we'll talk about some all's well that ends well.
right, y'all. We are back. We are nice and lit. We have had the technical difficulties while we were getting nice and lit, but we got it all in order. All is well that ends well, correct? Maybe. We're going to find out. (laughs) (laughs) So this play does not get produced very often, and I am unconvinced that's going to change unlike some of the other plays that we have talked about this season. And I think that that has a lot to do with the consent narrative that drives kind of throughout the whole play. And so I kind of want to start discussing, like, do y'all think there's a way to flip that narrative on its head? Or does this story always have to say kind of like the ends justify the means? Jackie, do you want to get us started with that? Sure. So in my reading of this play, what I didn't really realize until I reread this the other day is, you know, we start out at Bertram's, we're coming back from Bertram's father's funeral. Um, So, you know, he's for the all the events of this play, his father just died. So for me, that really colored a lot of his actions throughout. And I think the only way to make any of this make sense or like st- you know stung- stomachable to a modern audience, because you know the bed trick, you can't you can't do that in twenty twenty three. Like if it's fully as it's written, where he does not know that you know he thinks he's sleeping with one person, but he's actually sleeping with someone else. You just you can't do that. I. I can't think of anyone who would willingly watch that and be like, yes, this is this is necessary, a necessary narrative to have in this day and age. I think the only way this works is if you can show somehow that Bertram and Helena have some kind of amicable relationship before all of this happens. And that for whatever reason, he kind of because of the grief of his father's death snaps into a weird place and is like pushing away perhaps the person that he does love, but is just in such a weird place because of his father's death and perhaps being, you know, being forced to marry Helena from the king because she makes the choice kind of usurping that traditionally masculine role. His father just died. I can, I can, I can see where a man might be like, I am not comfortable with this. I do not want to marry anyone right now. You know, a woman taking that traditionally masculine role of being the person to ask the other person to marry them, even if he did love Helena before. So then with all that being said, I think if you want to make this work in 2023, you have to stage the bed trick in such a way where it makes it clear that Bertram somehow recognizes that it's Helena that he's sleeping with and is okay with that because he loved her beforehand and is just going through kind of this grieving process. The problem is none of that is supported in the text. Like this is all just stuff that we have to throw on it as a modern audience. And to that end, I'm like, if it's not, if you can't glean any of that from the text, if there's nothing I can point to in the text, I'm like, oh, I can see where this is coming from. Then I'm like, well, then what's, then what's the fucking point? I think you can frame it in that way, because as I was talking to you, Cakes, while Karen was having technical difficulties, Bertram does say at the end of the play, I did love her once in reference to Helena. Now, to be fair, he's saying this to the king, you know, in a public thing and, you know, public forum. You can definitely see how that could be played off as, oh, he's just saying the right things right now. But, you know, you could also take that as that's a genuine thing. And at that point in the play, maybe he does believe Helena is dead. But again, this takes so much conjecture and again, not supported directly by the text, 
that it's almost not worth it if you have to do all this work to make the text that's actually in there work. It doesn't seem worth it to me, which is a shame because I think there are so many good ideas in here. And I think there is something to, I can almost see this play. It reminded me of like, if we flip the genders of Helena and Bertram, if Bertram is like a stuck up popular girl in an 80s movie and Helena is like the nerdy guy with the heart of gold the whole time and slowly over time, you know, the popular girl falls in love with the unpopular guy sort of thing. It's there, there are kind of seeds of that throughout. Unfortunately, it's again, we just have, you know, questionable consent, which I think in 2023, I'm sure there are some people who are interested in seeing that, but I, I can say at least for the three of us on this podcast right now, we're not really interested in telling those stories. What is the point of telling those stories in that day and age? So it it just makes me sad because there are some interesting ideas in here. And I love the faithfulness and the persistence of Helena. Uh, her faithfulness, I just recently rewatched The Princess Bride and, and she kind of reminds me of Wesley almost. Like if Helena, if Wesley was a girl, it's just very simply, I just I just love him. I just love her him. And that's it for me. And I will always be constant to my one love. And I think- there is something admirable in that. And also maybe if you can explore Bertram is acting out of grief for his father, trying to reconnect with that masculine side and, you know, feels emasculated by Helena when she selects him after the king says, you know, make your selection. It, like There are so many interesting ideas. Unfortunately, Shakespeare chooses not to really explore any of that. So I, I forget what the original question is, but it's really, it's re- <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's really, really hard to justify making any of this work because it's just not directly supported by the text and like if we're doing Shakespeare it's about the words isn't it at the end of the day it, we got we got to go with what the words say yeah yeah I think like throughout this season we've definitely had many conversations about like extra textual moments that you can stage and I think that like there are times and places for that in Shakespeare where it's like oh okay this, this little moment is missing or like, I wish this little thing was different mm-hmm. and I can change it with a dumb show or mm-hmm. explain it away or whatever. But yeah, like it's such a through line in yeah. this play. And then the way that it ends makes that difficult. Karen, do you have anything you want to end? Uh, end. Add. <laughs> This show is over. In regards to like flipping the script on the consent narrative. So, yeah, I think it's interesting because I agree. Helena is such a cool character for the things that she does. I mean, she's very Merida where she's like that one, me, I choose. Right. And like, that's awesome. Yeah. The bed trick is rough. What is interesting though, is that it brings up a great conversation. Like I can imagine like this being staged at like a high school or something and having like, having it done because it sparks that discussion. It's like an awesome lesson in consent, right? Like it's an awesome way to start the dialogue and say like, why was this like perceived as okay in Shakespeare's time? And like, what have we learned since then that makes this no longer okay? Which I think is really cool. Something else that I think is unfortunate is it is kind of a comedy. There are such funny moments in this where like the king is like this guy with his prologues like what the heck like I laughed out loud like there are such funny things in here I was I had to remind myself I was like oh it is a comedy because that's right Shakespeare tragedies everyone dies comedies no one died so like no one died I was like oh this is a comedy right because it does feel like a tragedy the way that like the bed trick happens and all of that and I was thinking I was like 
is there a way to like make it like she's the man or whatever right like not like not like she's a man but like is there something that you can leave the text as like come to my bed or come to my house or whatever and they're doing a different activity like something that still fits within the time period that's not sleeping with each other but then you go back to jackie's point of well it's about the text right i mean that's what she, that's why we still study shakespeare is because of the elevated text and because of like the beauty in his words so i mean you could like she's the man in such a way as you write an entirely different script that happens to be based on it but to use the actual text is really a challenge yeah i agree and I agree, like, the first time I read this play, I think I got what you were talking about, where it's like, oh, yeah, this could be a great way to, like, almost like a warning story mm. type thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an interesting way of going about it, because, like, when we talk about consent narratives, especially in a modern context, we talk about it a lot of the times in the context of, like, a male pursuing a female mm -hmm. and not taking no for an answer. And this is the opposite. And it, it makes me question like, okay, if a bunch of men watched this play, would it make them deeply uncomfortable to have to watch their behavior reflected back in that way? But I don't know if it works. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, would it make them uncomfortable or would they be like, I mean, obviously not, you know, everyone is a different person, but like, would they, necessarily see it reflected back on them because it's i don't they might some of them might but some of them might not yeah. but some women might also watch it and say like you go girl you know and others are watching it going oh no <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no that i'm i mean that actually kind of reminds me of the conversation we had last week about portia where it's like she has these amazing qualities at the beginning of the play that make you really want to like her and then at the end of the play she does something that you're like ah oh, fuck that's not redeemable is it that's yeah. pretty that's pretty shitty yeah something I kept asking myself and I it might have been that I missed it but like is Bertram's virginity ever brought up I don't think no. it is no. so like that's interesting too because I assume no but like did Helena then also take Bertram's virginity because obviously male virginity is not discussed in the same way that female virginity is discussed. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's also, if virginity is looked upon so you know highly, literally the last monologue of the king, he's like, if you're still a virgin, I'll pay for your wedding. Let's talk later, babe. Okay. But like only if you're still a virgin, which is gross. Um, like if, if Helena is also taking Bertram's virginity, it's like, that's a whole other can of worms, right? Is she also taking this like really important, important quote-unquote thing that was regarded so highly in society mm -hmm. from really this guy without consent i hadn't even thought about that but that's that's a really good point because i i think we can also presume helen is probably a virgin as well and diana who he's trying to sleep with in that moment i'm it, i believe it's mentioned a lot that she is also a virgin too so it's just all these virgins trying to take advantage of each other yet that's I hadn't even thought about that. That's a really interesting layer to it. Cause especially back in the day for women, you know, virginity is you know this thing you have to protect so much. I mean, they talk about it so much with Diana and she's like, I don't want to give it up to this guy, but it's not mentioned with like the same intensity with Bertram or, you know, the same weight is given to it as it would with Diana or Helena. The thing that I kept, I keep coming back to with this play is I think it's so interesting because I feel like Helena's actions 
again, this reminds me of like an 80s teen comedy. If Helena was a dude, I think we would be seeing this play produced a lot more because it's, oh, this guy was so persistent and Helena's a dude. He healed the king of France, was so constant in his love. And then she came around, this high class lady came around and saw her for who she for who he was and fell in love with her. But I feel like because it's a woman, we're like, and people are really uncomfortable with that. I'm not, this is not me condoning the bed trick by any means, but I do feel like if Helena was a man in this, and this was about a man's relentless pursuit of a woman that he knew was his true love, I, I feel like it would be a play that was more historically, I think, because I think even historically this play isn't wasn't produced all that much. Like it's not, it's not one of the big Shakespeare ones. I feel like this play would have gotten a lot more attention and there'd probably still be, you know, companies doing it to this day. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I I think another thing about it that like stood out to me last night as I, I was watching it was mm. I was like, hmm, even as a person who like indulges in tons of Shakespeare, I am still very much the kind of person who needs that like first five or 10 minutes to feel out like, okay, how challenging is this language? Like how hard mm -hmm. is it going to be for me to understand this throughout the next two and a half hours? Yeah. And with this one, I was like, oh, this is, this is easy. Like this That's is I very I easy so to understand. Very accessible. Even more of a bummer that it's like, ah, this plot is so tangly. <laughs> like, yeah. And kind of getting to another point that you guys are making, like, Helena's cool as fuck. <laughs> I really oh, like she's her. Cool as fuck. I like, like her. There's something she's... so grotesque about the fact that the bed trick is performed off stage yes and yes. we can't see it so yes. we cannot control it i was thinking about i can't think of his dang name i only watched the show 700 times in symboline the guy who hides in the freaking box yakimo oh, thank you yeah when yakimo's but it's <laughs> it can be such a funny scene because you can like really play it up so you're like, oh, that's weird that a man hid in a box in a woman's bedroom, but it's kind of funny. Like the fact that we yeah, can't yeah, see yeah. it and the fact that we can't control it. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. I ignored the fact that Helena was a badass cakes when you said that. But like, cause she is such a badass. Like the, I, uh, I've seen that monologue, like here I'm kneeling before you, like I love your son. I've seen it performed so, I like, I don't know. I feel like women a lot of times are just like, I'm going to perform Shakespeare. And I mean, this is all Shakespeare, but like they're performing it very like, ugh. but like to me, she's like, so, like, like a little gushy and a, like a little like weak and a little meek. And she's like the opposite. She's like, I know what's wrong with the king and I'm going to go fix him. And then also I'm going to pick my husband. And then also I'm going to steal his ring. Come at me. Like, she's so cool. And pretty funny. She can talk about her virginity with fucking what's his name and Pearlous. just go back and forth like tit for tat with him. Mm -hmm. I don't know names, guys. Um, <laughs> for tit for tat with him and just be like, oh, virginity? Never heard of it. Like, it's so, she's so cool. She's awesome. Yeah, she is. She also has like this amazing exchange with the king where like mm -hmm. the language things that are going on, like the rhetorical things that are going on, he will like step up his game. And the second he does, she meets him right at his level. And like, you can just tell like this woman who has no business doing so is like throwing the king off and making him question everything that he knows. And I feel like we literally don't see especially a low class female character mm -hmm. doing something like that in the canon 
forever. Yeah. Like, it's so cool to see her doing something like that. And so, yeah, I think it is, I agree. It feels like highway robbery that that element of the show is not on stage. So we can't see it. And Jackie, it makes me want to see what you just talked about. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to see the moment where Bertram is like, this isn't who I thought it was. I'm cool with it. Yeah. Yeah. Because we could have that scene with the language of Shakespeare. Like Shakespeare could have him do a direct address to the audience. I can picture it, him lifting up the sheet and being like, oh, I know what's going on here, but mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to do it anyway. And that's all we need. And he didn't include it. He didn't do it. Does this make Helena the first Shakespearean girl boss? Cause like with all, like, <laughs> I, I just had this thought. It's like, okay, we were like, we're rooting for her like up through act three. And then she girl, she <laughs> gaslight gatekeeps and girl bosses. Her Is she sliding into your DMs with her like tinctures? Mm -hmm. Like, yes. hey girl. Oh my God. Helena is an MLF. <laughs> Oh no, lol. This is like a very funny conversation because you don't know this, but the Merchant of Venice episode that's going mm. to drop technically next week as we're recording, but last mm. week as this episode drops, <laughs> we literally talk about Portia and the, the term girl boss specifically. Mm. And my friend Terry talked about how they, they used to have like different categories for feminism and uh, he used to, he would qualify her as what they used to call like a materialistic feminist. Mm. And then we started breaking down like, uh, now we have terms like intersectional feminist and Portia's like decidedly not yeah. that. Yeah. And it's interesting because I don't know if we know that about Helena. Like, no. I don't really know if we know how Helena uplifts or doesn't uplift other women. So, right. like, she doesn't. I don't. Like, I will say, like, she seems to have good rapport with, like, the widow and Diana. Now, to be fair, this furthers her own nefarious deeds. Like, I think she's very self-serving in that. But she does like, I mean, Diana doesn't want to sleep with Bertram. So it's like, you know, they're both kind of helping each other out. But again, I mean, they're not doing great things. And the widow's also like, please don't let my daughter not be a virgin. She's not married yet. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, again, it's all very, it's all very self-serving. You know, it goes back to the girl, the girl boss narrative. And again, I just, I just, I just, really think if Helena was a dude we'd be we'd all be like yeah this is what you got to do I feel like this this could easily be like this is toxic masculinity you know someone said no they don't want to marry you but yet you kept pursuing and pursuing and pursuing but because it's a woman I feel like we can easily point that out and be like oh this is weird and this makes us feel bad but I feel like even to this day you know we teach we teach our boys to be like, no, you know, you got to keep pursuing the person that you want. You know, you got to, you just got to be persistent. Like that's okay romantically from men, from women, we get labeled as like, oh, we're crazy and clingy. And it's not an admirable trait in women to be that persistent and constant with, I, I know what I want with that. Huh, I forget true. where, I forget where I was going with this, but you no. know what? I, I, it does make me wonder, like, uh, one of the questions that I didn't end up perfectly formulating, but that, like, I kind of tossed out to y'all was the idea that, like, 
almost all the supporting characters in this play are like, yeah, go Helena, you go get your man. Even though the man is like specifically saying to those people who Mm -hmm. are cheering her on, like, I don't want this. Mm -hmm. And that feels so uncomfortable for me when I like read it and when I watch it. And I do wonder if like, if I would feel the same way I mean I think I would like knowing everything I know about consent now but I do wonder if like it wouldn't stand out to the average person yeah it is it is very 80s teen comedy I mean it begs the question why did because Shakespeare has definitely written like men pursuing women in that manner and then they get Mm -hmm. the girl in the end whatever and Um, everybody's fine with it it begs the question of why he made this character a woman you know, and that, she doesn't cross dress at all. Like she is no. solidly a woman throughout. Correct. She never once cross dresses, and she's like, "No, I am a woman doing this. I'm going to go heal the heal the king like as a woman. As I don't have woman. to just dis- I don't have to disguise myself. I am the daughter of this physician, and I will heal him, and I will choose my husband, which I think is super empowering because like Portia dresses up as a man to go and lawyer and whatever, and I think it's super cool. Helen is is a woman the entire time. Yeah, I think it's worth noting, too, that, like, for the longest time when I used to think of the pants role plays, I would put this on the list and then I'd have to be like, no, 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 it's no, not. No, she doesn't. It's not. She does. No, she's like, just, she's just a woman. And we, you're right, like, we don't see a woman, like, go out into society and have agency without dressing up like a man or without being basically, like, royalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so interesting oh helena why would you do this to us shakespeare why it begs the question like aside from a moment of like uh, staging like the bed trick potentially moment like is there a way to salvage her at the end aside what's so interesting is again she's doing what bertram's doing like how hard did bertram pursue diana and he's like come on baby like let's do it and then helena was doing the same thing and so when helena gives him a taste of her own medicine suddenly we're like yuck we're like if bertram had succeeded would Mm. we be like yuck it's kind of the same question we've been asking right like Mm. is it because she's a woman it's not for us. We understand consent, whatever, but like in the general like scope of society and yeah, you almost feel like, no, she's justified because this is what he was going to do to Diana essentially. Mm-hmm. And she's saying, rather than doing it to Diana, psych, like, here you it's go. Me. This is, this is what you were doing the whole time. Sorry. Which does feel like a slightly less icky, the end justify the means, but like still not great. Because it's still I, hard to make that clear with the text. Like he was going to do this to Diana. You know what, you know what I mean? Because like we can all sit here and say that and make that connection, but it, it's just not explicit in the text. And we don't get to, and I don't think Helena and Bertram ever actually have like a direct scene together too, which makes it hard to establish any kind of relationship at, throughout the play at all. And so they don't have, that I can think of have a direct scene together. Like there's no Benedict and Beatrice moment. Like Helena's Benedict and Beatrice moment is with Parolis at the beginning right. of the play. Like if we just had something like that with Helena and Bertram, I think that would make so much more of this stomachable. We could be like, oh, okay, that's their relationship. At least at certain points during the play, we can make, and then it's like, okay, now it grows from there, but we're seeing their relationship through other people, through their separate lenses. 
so how do you get a clear picture on what either of them actually wants when they're together? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I like I also wish that the end there was some amount of time for her to be able to show remorse maybe mm-hmm. like an, a, any sort of understanding that like getting pregnant that way is not appropriate um, well and also i mean she literally fulfilled bertram's letter right you know get the ring get pregnant and she said done she said bet i got it i wonder <laughs> i mean i'm looking at that scene right mm-hmm. like i'm wondering it, you know bertram's delivery delivery of the line right like if she my liege can make me know this clearly i'll love her dearly ever ever dearly like is that line sincere you know yeah it's almost like he's eating crow a little i mean he could you know it depends on the delivery of the line it depends on i haven't analyzed the text enough but if mm-hmm. he's like he did say that you know i did so she got me she got me guys I, she's smarter than she looks you know to quote ginger minge walking off off of all stars too they got me gal (laughs) they got me gal (laughs) a reference i definitely understand of course our token straight we love you karen (laughs) stop it I just had my, this is my high moment where <laughs> I had a point that I was going to make and it has butterflied out the It'll window. come back. It'll come back. I have no doubt. It probably won't. <laughs> well. <laughs> it generally does not. <laughs> That's okay. That's why we love the high podcast. Oh yeah, man. We didn't come here for coherent thoughts. We came here for people <laughs> smoking and drinking things out of bowls. <laughs> that i found in the back of my fridge nice oh i'm trying to think you're talking about the eating crow delivering Mm. if she my liege can know this like she got Uh, me yeah yeah i mean i guess like this version of it would probably make bertram more of an asshole but there is definitely an element of like his not consenting to this relationship that is heavily based in class that is Mm -hmm. heavily like i can't marry her she's not of my status she's not worthy of me so i do wonder if there could be an element of it that's like that's almost like a game like society would not allow me to do this oh no but i do kind of like her if you can get this thing to happen then like Mm -hmm. prove that you're worthy of me but i don't know because the literal king is like hey dude fucking marry this right (laughs) so also so when i was reading that because i had the same thoughts i was like so this is mostly based in class you know we you know up through act three i'm like this is based in class i'm like i think this can work if you can show like at the top of the play maybe like they're holding hands like you can see helena comforting bertram and then they go away and so you can be like okay they at least have an amicable relationship something something and you know when Bertram is first refusing Helena. It's in front of all of these other lords too. Like the king brings out a bunch of other people of Bertram's class. So, you know, even if the king sanctions it, you know, you're still in front of a bunch of your high class friends and being told you must marry this low class woman. So I, I, if we're coming at it from just a class perspective, that's why he won't marry her. I can understand 
a little bit more and maybe more can be forgiven if it's made very specifically clear Bertram has been embarrassed in front of his fellow his fellow class members, coupled with grieving for his father. He feels emasculated. He has to go off and do something masculine now while still, you know, still you know, figuring out how he moves forward from his you know, father's death and things like that. I think you can make a lot of that more stomachable again. And then it becomes this game. But again, this still takes a lot of conjecture on our part. And I don't know that it's entire. I'd have to go through and read it again with that in mind and see if that's still supported by the test. Because so Bertram still says some, you know, not kind things about Helena. He still like calls, you know, mostly referring to her class status is why he won't marry her. So that, again, it still kind of balances out, but it's still not great. He doesn't say until the end when she, when he thinks she is dead, supposedly, that he's, I did love her once. So it's just really hard. It's a very fine needle to thread. And I don't know how many actors would be up to that job of one, making that very clear from Bertram and two, not having us the audience think he's an he's an asshole the entire time or make us think that he's being taken advantage of by helena because again it's 2023 you know men need to consent to men need to consent to sexual activity too yeah yeah it's interesting it it just kind of feels like in order to make one character more stomachable you have to make the other one feel worse and we've (laughs) talked like a lot this season about how like Uh, You can't necessarily, like, always edit away, like, the worst parts of some of these characters. But, like, there is also something to be said about, like, I don't want to watch a play about a bunch of people who aren't likable. Like, (laughs) if there's there's a level of humanity and then there's a level of, like, wow, these people are just assholes. Mm -hmm. And I think this play is it can be tricky counterpoint like, people love succession that and is true people um, love the boys yeah. people love the boys but That's true, like but i i got to the point this like i loved the boys and mm-hmm. then this most recent season both jonathan and i were like there is not a damn person in this series yeah. worth watching anymore i don't care i mean i love daddy butcher and will until i die <laughs> but that's just more of a personal preference for me that's fair <laughs> yeah yeah it is interesting that you bring up like the lineup scene yeah where she's like going down because again a funny scene mm-hmm. like are the other men excited is she not and again very 80s rom-com when he writes to his mother and he's like nah i'm not marrying and she his mother's like what the fuck's wrong with you like she's a good gal like what we were saying right if you're in like an 80s rom-com or whatever you're like he's a good guy why is she like this why mm-hmm. like they're why kind of doing it but making it yeah 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 he's being so stuck up she's like she healed the king the king said to do it so like i don't know why my son's doing this like mm-hmm. come on huh yeah it almost feels like if you're gonna do this play you have to a like cut it artfully and be like I, I don't know just you just gotta get like so creative <laughs> it's a really fine fucking needle to thread where it's like i don't know what, what is the overarching message of this play like what are we trying to say by putting this play on you know i don't know that it's exactly worth it or that it's not said better and more eloquently by a different shakespeare play yeah you because know, again we can we can do midsummer's night's dream and as a matter of fact we have again 
a very constant Helena. Hmm. Same name and everything. Hmm. That's true. There's lots of pursuing in that play, and it never mm-hmm. feels quite icky because at the you know in the end everyone consents. Mm-hmm. Well, except for Demetrius, who gets stuck under a flower potion spell for the rest of his life. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, at, le- at least Bertram. At least Bertram in this one, he is as as far as we know, not magically. You know, his consent isn't taken away. Yes, yes, and I think like in Midsummer, there's also like there's the potential consent narrative with Titania, but it's so easy to like be like they have a different they have different rules in the magical world of the fairies they play games where they fuck around with sex all the time and that's just how it works like that's what fairies do it's their culture but like this is not this is not that (laughs) this is not no these are very clear like there is no magical elements these are just people again the the big disparity is is class seems to be the the true conflict that i can tell that is really supported by the text because it's not like bertram ever says helena is ugly or that like she's a bad person he never says that it's just class seems to be what's keeping them apart from the text which could be so interesting to explore but then like shakespeare forgets about it in the rest of act three four and five it's just like he's gone to war and the only way she can get him back is is through a bed trick so it's just like what yeah. No scene, no scene between the two of them where she's like, "Hey, maybe get over yourself." She could go and heal Bert. Like he's in fucking war. Why didn't Shakespeare write a scene where it's like, "Oh, she healed him from his fucking battle wounds and nursed him back to health." Like that's just as dramatically compelling. Yeah, Shakespeare. What the, the fu- fuck? What the fuck? Write better. When- he's like, "Shut the fuck up! This was popular when I was writing." He's like, <laughs> "I never thought you'd be talking about my plays." I was not hundred years later. Never expecting to get this far, and you know, I don't know what to do now that I'm here. (laughs) Yeah, I also wonder, like, what what was the context of the time, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we know that like Shakespeare wrote a lot of gods toward the end of his time because he got that big expensive theater that had a god machine, and he was like, "I'm going to use it." You know, like, did he have to? Did he have an actor that? played strong women well and they were like let's give you a strong woman to play and she is a strong woman through and through yes Mm -hmm. she tricks a guy but and like it's bad in the 21st century context but like even still like damn she really did that you know which is not something you see very often so you have to wonder like did he have a reason did he have a lover at the time that he wanted to write a strong woman to say like look at how feminist i am that like you know Mm -hmm. like it's interesting to think about the context that this was written in yeah that is a great point he wrote this and measure for measure in a very close capacity and and isabella is probably the other character like female character in the canon who might be of lower status who like Mm. does challenge authority the way Mm. that helena does and somehow also ends up in a bed trick Mm. um that's that's very interesting like in the same way i'm constantly like shakespeare knew a helena with consent issues like (laughs) he must have had somebody around this time who was challenging authority in a way i mean it could have been queen elizabeth herself but that's i was gonna say or politically like what was happening politically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
That's very interesting. Because, I mean, we were talking about Queen Charlotte off camera, right? But, like, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, in Queen Charlotte, right, she gets given away, and then mm -hmm. she reclaims the narrative because it's, she's with Mad King George. She has to be the one that kind of takes on the leadership position and, like, takes over for him. So you have to wonder, like, if something politically wasn't happening that Shakespeare was seeing where a woman was taking on a traditional male role and he decided mm -hmm. to write about it to give a woman agency. Hmm. Hmm. And then... The bed tricks were just popular, so he was like, "Right, yeah, that's how so I'll end this that. super complicated comedy." Yeah. And it's funny too. The whole ring scene, dang man, that bed trick really messes things up. Because that ring scene is funny too. We're like, "Not me. I don't know. You had it, but then I had it." And then when his like thought dead wife comes out, he's like, "Ah, shit!" Like it's <laughs> all funny, it but is. bad. I mean, I guess like maybe closing question for the evening is like do we think then like is there any way to recontextualize the bed trick or like flip it on its head or do it any way differently than like what we are used to seeing a bed trick be yeah i think me... if you can if, if this can somehow turn into a game of like cat and mouse between bertram and helena because because if you can frame it to go to go back to much ado about nothing because you know that's my favorite shakespeare play but it it just sucks because again helena and bertram don't have any direct scenes together but if somehow we can get the sense that they are playing with each other if we can get the sense that there is a playfulness to this and that they like to challenge each other and this is how that that is their dynamic bertram's like okay has maybe Bertram this whole time has been saying Helen to Helena offstage, yeah, I will marry you, I will marry you, but it didn't become real until the king was like, oh, now, now we're going to do this. But now in order to save face in front of his high-class friends, he's going to put these stipulations on Helena. And if she can truly overcome all of it, then, oh my God, I do truly love this woman. Like this is deeper than I thought. If we can get that sense of like, maybe Bertram was like stringing Helena along before this. He liked her, but what like, wasn't going to marry her, but that because of the, because of class issues, but then his hand was forced and it's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to give her, I'm going to give her this shot. If she can do these two things and I'm going to make this hard on her because I think she'll enjoy this. Let's, let's see what you got. If we can get that sense of fun in there, I think it could work. But again, you know, it's 2023 it's hard to get around the bed trick. And again, we'd have to, we would have to see the bed trick on stage and that we can see Bertram being like, babe, you did it. I'm really impressed with you. You've, you're going to get, you're going to get half of this, half of this. Right. But then like, then the scene at the end kind of becomes confusing. Then is like Bertram putting on a show for the King. It very artfully cut. Like you said, it's, <laughs> It's that's up. it. Like I'm, yeah. I'm looking at Act Five, Scene Three right now, just mm -hmm. to like see if there's anything in the text that supports mm -hmm. anything but a bed trick. But yeah. it'd be so funny if Bertram knew his line is only both, both. Oh, pardon. Like, can you imagine if he was just like both, both, like <laughs> putting on a show for the king? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, <laughs> like I don't think that works. Yeah. <laughs> so the the one line that's sticking for me because like I was saying mm -hmm. before, like you have to contextualize it. Like you have to she's the man it, right? Do mm -hmm. I, I keep using she's the man. Lots of things it's, have been turned into fine. you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, like you yeah, have yeah. to turn it into something completely different because again, the text itself 
is like he knows himself the diana says he knows himself my bed he hath defiled and at that time he got his wife with child like it's a very hard to convince me that there's another thing that because earlier i said like maybe there's another act quote unquote that's still within the time period that they could do off stage that's not sex but like if he's getting someone pregnant there's <laughs> truly nothing else he could be doing <laughs> yeah yeah so i don't know i hate that we can't perform it because helena is such a cool character and because there's like such an awesome spot for like a, a young woman to like play a really cool badass character mm -hmm. but i think again you have to perform it with the idea like it'd be interesting to perform it specifically for high schools it'd be interesting to perform it specifically for young adults and not as like an entertainment but as a way to like begin a discussion essentially like as a educational theater piece mm -hmm. so that it's why is this not okay even though it's a woman why do we watch movies where men do it and mm -hmm. it's okay when men do it but it's not okay you know it's not okay when men do it or it used to be why was it you know when did it be it's yeah i was gonna say when did it become like okay for men to do it but not okay for women to do it yeah i mean when did it become okay for men to do it and not women for to do it you know the and patriarchy. also the, well right and the question that i raised earlier about like bertram's virginity like does that mm -hmm. change things if she also took bertram's virginity is bertram even a virgin does that change things like if bertram's not a virgin then why are we even having this conversation about whether or not they can be quote unquote wives you know being virgins or not because why is bertram allowed to throw his seed to the wind <laughs> with that? Without not, not the seed to the wind <laughs> just blowing every which way <laughs> like a <That's> wishy <laughs> what he ever blew a wishy as a kid she a dandelion the like white puff ball never heard anyone refer to it as a wishy what just say a dandelion what no it's called a wishy you blow it and you make a wish and if yeah, you get that, all the seeds off i'm familiar with that part i've never <laughs> is that a regionalism i really thought everyone yes, called them wishies 100 <laughs> percent. i didn't even know they were dandelion until like much later in my life they were wishies oh my god i love that jonathan didn't know you made wishes on them until like this year when really? i plucked one and, and made a wish yeah he was like the fuck are you doing woman <laughs> <laughs> we're all learning things today <laughs> oh my gosh but yeah, I I agree. I think it's got to be very pointed. Uh, like, and yes. I'm grateful that like the beauty of these plays is that like, they're gonna be around forever, no matter what. So even if we're not doing them, like, it's so cool to have a conversation about it and to and to study it and to be able to say shit like, well, fuck it, if we're not gonna put it up on stage, like, hey, Next time you're doing Shakespeare in a scene study class and your professor is like trying to hand you basic, like the balcony scene for the 30th time, like be like, okay, but like, what about this Helena scene with the king? Like so much more fun. So, so much, much more fun. And still a man and a woman. So who cares? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So I, I'm glad we had this conversation just to to pluck what value there is in this play from it because there is a lot there yeah. is yeah 
very accessible text, badass female uh, lead woman. Like if you're looking for new monologues, like look at Helena from All's Well That Ends Well. Like I love her. Thou shall have, you know, not, thou shall have no wife, nothing in France till I have no wife. Like that is such a, that is a great little monologue. I always also think of Megan Jones every time <laughs> because <laughs> she did that monologue during our Shakespeare class. I always think of her doing it, but it's a, it's a great little monologue. It's There's so many different things you could do with it. Yeah, Helena has great speeches that great scene between the king and Helena. There's so many great little things to pluck out. Unfortunately, in the entire context of the whole play, it's very hard to stage the whole thing. Like, Correct. it's very hard. Very, very hard. I wonder if there's a, something you could do where it's like a one-act version of it, where you just go through Helena healing the king and Bertram agrees. And, you know, Helena picks Bertram to marry her and he just says yes at the end and you just cut, like... <laughs> Act three, and act ends. four, and then it ends, and it's just a, it's just a one act. Like all's well that ends well, school all's, version. <laughs> the ju- all's well that ends well, junior. Junior, it's like into the woods, junior. <laughs> I think they cut the whole second act. No one dies. <laughs> Did you know there's like a junior version of Les Mis? Like, is there a junior version? I know there's a school I version. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I just think it's wild. Maybe I'm getting just too prudish as I get closer <laughs> to thirty, but no high school should be doing Les Mis. Like. One number one, vocally inappropriate for any high schooler. Two, wildly inappropriate for high schoolers to be prostitutes on stage. This is nothing against sex workers. I just I, what what are we having our teenagers do? People don't think about lame as having prostitutes. My third grade teacher used to play that music for us when we would like be in the morning, like doing our morning. Right. And my mom was like and I called it the Angry Men tape growing up. I grew up on the tenth anniversary cast. Hell yeah. Wishies man. and the Angry Men tape. I loved Lamez. It's great. Music's fun. <laughs> and it's my mom great... was like, you know they're prostitutes. Like she told me much later in life. And I was mm-hmm. like, I guess they are, but I never I thought so. like you don't think about it. I don't know. No, of course you don't, because you're a kid. Everything soprano and vibrato is lovely and golden and innocent and must be cherished by so all, little. including yeah. eight year olds. If you Correct. say so. <laughs> I didn't like the soprano parts. I liked the angry men parts. Okay. Okay. Mood. Valid. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> this is well. getting cut. This is getting cut. <laughs> yeah, you better believe it. <laughs> Please keep in Wishies, though. That better make it to the oh, final wishies, edit. Wishies is 100% staying in. That's funny as fuck. <laughs> Sorry, Karen. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, I think we have come to an inconclusive conclusion, which seems to be sure the have. theme of the season. Yeah. And I kind of love that. I love that we addressed these problem plays and at the end of the season, they're still kind of a problem. I think they, they it's been 400 years. I think they probably always will be, but <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's wonderful. And it, it gives us a challenge to work through and it, it's cool that it's still challenging 400 years later so with that thank you both so much for coming on the podcast i love the shit out of both of you i Uh, love the shit out of you that's so funny because i also love the shit out of all of you (laughs) oh mind-boggling over a decade worth of friendship in this damn amazing now i'm nauseous Give me my shit back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we go, 
do either of you have any funsies projects you would like to plug that are coming up in your lives Karen, how about you? Yes. I actually just got permission. So I'm writing, I'm around the writer's table of a fantasy narrative podcast. Oh. Um, we are entering our final drafts. It's really exciting. And uh, hopefully, we're hoping that the final, like, cut, record, everything comes out in winter of 2023. But I talked to the show writer and he said, just follow the instagram which is lunaris podcast l-u-n-a-r-i-s podcast all one word and hopefully we'll post updates there and you can follow my instagram and you can see because i always have sketch shows and i always have improv shows and i'm always posting them and that's karen underscore shans sweet we will write that in the show notes so folks can see that there I'm that's really excited. I'm excited to or exciting. So, I'm excited to listen to that. That's <laughs> so cool, Karen. Too. I know I told him I was coming on a podcast and I was like, Do you want me to plug our podcast? And he was like, Yeah. And I was like, Okay, just checking. <laughs> Fuck yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Jackie, how about you? Uh yeah, you can follow me on TikTok. I do a lot of puppetry shenanigans, uh, and I do Shakespeare with pup with puppetry every so often. Um, I am at J Daisky, that is J D A Y S K E E uh on TikTok. Uh you can follow me on Instagram too if you'd like. I post uh those TikToks on my story as well. I post them on YouTube as well. It's all at J Daisky um and yeah so that's where i do my puppetry stuff i have updates for upcoming shows and other stuff that i do hell yeah. you can find me hell yeah i i have been loving your uh puppetry shakespeare Thanks. rewrites they're <laughs> very fun thank you thank you i'm i'm very proud of them they're very fun to do so i'm glad you appreciate them Sweet. Yeah. Maybe maybe we'll bring cinnamon on the podcast one of these days. Yes, we would love to have <laughs> you there. We would love oh. to have a little nar. <laughs> well, with that, season two of Bulls with the Bard is wrapping. There maybe might be a bonus episode next week. Weird. I don't know. So maybe keep your eye out for that. But like, yeah, season two's wrapping. Thanks y'all for for being a part of it. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Would you, Michaela? Would you say that all's well that ends well? (gasps) Do we all have chills? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can follow Karen, Jackie, and Bulls with the Bard at the handles either on your screen or in the description. If you haven't already, or if you're just new to Bulls with the Bard, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps the podcast to grow. And I was not lying. You can tune in next week for a bonus episode of The Problem Plays. We will be talking about Titus Andronicus with Megan and Murr. Until then, bye y'all. A thousand thousand sides to save Oh, lay me where sad true lover Never find my grave to weep there